Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. I'm your host, Acacia Courtney, as a fun show coming up. As always, I always have fun doing these shows. I, I certainly won't lie about that, and I hope that you are having fun listening to them. Um, have some interesting individuals on the show today talking not just about the sales, as we do have another two-year-old sale coming up next week with the OBS April two-year-old in training sale, but also talking about a couple of uh, the well-known farms in Kentucky breeding stallions where these horses' careers and their lives do begin before they even head to the sales ring or eventually onto the racetrack. So looking forward to covering that angle of it a little bit this afternoon and, of course, looking ahead to that next two-year-old sale uh, next week in Ocala, Florida, and just a couple of weeks away from the Kentucky Derby. It's pretty hard to believe. Back in the first Saturday in May where it belongs, I will say that. It's nice to at least be able to Uh, understand the stake schedule and not feel like we were last year where everything was so mixed up. The Belmont Stakes was the first race of the Triple Crown. We're back on the calendar where we belong with the Kentucky Derby the first Saturday in May. The points races are all completed. Um, But as they always say, you're only as good as your last win. And right now, too, the two-year-olds are taking some center stage, looking ahead to potentially getting into next year's Kentucky Derby starting gate. So we'll get right to it. Enjoy this week's episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Very happy to be joined by Price Bell, General Manager of Millridge Farm. And Price, I've been looking forward to talking to you and happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks so much for having me. I just am so thrilled to be on. I love the In the Money uh, Media Network and just uh, excited to join you today. So glad that they brought you on um, this year. This year, you know, Tugel and JK and Pete. I mean, they finally have started to uh, you know increase their uh, increase their stable of talent. You know, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, they've uh, added a ton of shows this year. There's kind of something for everybody on the program, which I think is great. So. Obviously, on this show, we've been talking a lot about the sales, diving in a little bit more recently in particular to the breeding industry, and um, we'll talk about a lot of things today with you as far as Millridge is concerned and kind of the one-stop shop that Millridge Farm is and all the different things that you do within the industry. But first, Price, we wanted to pay a tribute uh, to your late grandmother, Alice Headley Chandler, who did recently pass away, and so sorry for your loss and your family's loss, and I appreciate your willingness to come on and talk about her. She was the owner, of course, of Millridge Farm. Tell me a little bit about the legacy that she created in the world of horse racing and and just such a widely respected individual and what she did within the sport. Well, uh, thank you very much for saying so. You know, she led a very full um, life. She lived to be 95 and uh, she passed at peace on on her terms. And uh, And I think that may we all be so, so blessed. Um, she um, was born in 1926 and, um, and was the oldest uh, child of a second ma- marriage for her father, Hal Price Headley. Um, Hal Price Headley was a uh, ended up running about, we ran about 4,000 acres, um, here in central Kentucky. Um, he started that his father had had a stroke. Um, and so he, uh, how price Headley came back at, uh, 18 and started running about 4,000 acres. Um, interestingly on those 4,000 acres, he had just 40 mares. Um, he was predominantly a general ag farmer, tobacco and cattle, corn, et cetera. And horses were really a pastime. And that was, you know, that was a, 
the kind of the industry back back then in Central Kentucky. You know, there wasn't a lot of commercial breeding, commercial operations, and and really how Price Seedley and kind of his cohorts kind of they they were initial founders of Phasic Tipton um, and trying to recruit you know in, investors from St. Louis and New York into racing. You know, um, we Kentuckians have always kind of been a provider nursery for um, for horse stock, and most of the the uh, racing industry was centered around New York. Um, and we, and you know, the Vanderbilts, the Whitney's, et cetera, you know, built their nurseries here in Lexington to raise the horses that then would compete in the Northeast and how price was an early kind of adapter and uh, competitor, um, in that kind of circuit. So, um, how price married, um, had three daughters. Um, interestingly, um, one of those daughters was on the last lifeboat out of the, uh, off of, uh, the ship, the Athenia, which sank, um, around the time of the Titanic. Wow. And, and he, she was on the last lifeboat and how price ends up naming a mayor Athenia after, you know, his daughter being saved. And, uh, Athenia ends up being the grand dam of, uh, of survivor, which will, is a big part of my grandmother's life. But I realized that just the other day and I thought it was an interesting fact, um, and so, long story short, my grandmother, how uh, Priscilla's first wife passed away. Um, he remarried my grandmother's mother. Um, they had my grandmother and her sister Patricia, and then about you know a number of years later, had a son um, also named Price. Um, but by that point, I think how Price Headley was, um, <laughs> I think he was ready to uh, enjoy some company. Um, and I think in that patriarchal society of oh, I got to have a son to carry on the legacy, my grandmother loved horses, loved him and loved just being around him all the time. So, um, they lived, uh, in Lexington now where Sullivan colleges off of Harrisburg road inside new circle road, uh, was their house. And my grandmother would be found in the, you know, sleeping in the stall with her pony. And she would, she was raised in a way she was allowed to do whatever she was big enough to do, which gave her a lot of rope and she loved it. And loved being around the horses and the land and with the guys who uh, worked on the farm. Um, and uh, that was kind of how she was raised. And then her mother stepped in and was like, well, we can't, you know, we have to have some polish and you've got to have some discipline and you've got to have some things. And so uh, she sent uh, she sent my grandmother to, a, I guess, a, a Catholic school, maybe for, I don't know what you might equate to kind of middle school-ish. Um, and then they, and then she went to uh, high school in Connecticut at Ethel Walker's for some reforming, I guess you'd say, <laughs> or, or uh, finishing. I guess that that was the right terminology, finishing school at that time, right? So Ethel Walker's is probably close to where you're from. It is, yeah. I have several friends that went there actually. Mm. Were they properly finished at Ethel Walker's? I believe so. I believe that was the goal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I got a kick out of my, my mother, my grandmother had great handwriting and my mother would say that she, it was from that Catholic schooling that she had this beautiful I'm penmanship. Sure. <laughs> um, but, but, um, yeah, that was, that's a little background about how, you know, my, my grandmother came to be. And, and I think that she, you know, so when Keeneland was being built in 1934, they closed on the land. Um, my grandmother was, you know, what, um, just, eight years old, eight through 10, they were kind of building Keeneland, but she was given the ability to ride her pony across 4,000 acres, you know, over to watch Keeneland being built and was always in her father's shadow, just kind of taking it all in and participating and, you know, really learning from him. Um, so she ends up 
she gets married uh, on spring break of her senior year at Ethel Walker's, which was much to the chagrin of the headmistress and her father. Mm-hmm. Um, but as she joked, this was 1945, and she was, uh, you know, st- or maybe 42, and she was struck in the uh, energy of the war that was happening. So she gets, she's married, has um, two children, Mike, who is a trainer uh, in Ocala, and uh, Tish or Patricia. Um, they divorce. She remarries um, a gentleman named Reynolds uh, Bell, uh, who went by Nick. And uh, and Reynolds Bell or, or Nick was, uh, uh, his brother was John Bell, who started John Bell Farm. Um, so these two Pennsylvania boys came through Kentucky, both married Kentucky girls. And my grandfather went on down to Houston with my grandmother. Um, they had my uncle Reynolds and my dad Heedley. And then in 1960, my grandmother was like, I'm, I'm going back to Kentucky cause I, I need to be with the horses. Um, and I need to want to, I want to start a farm and I want to be with my father. So she packed up the family, came back to Lexington and, um, Millridge was at that time being started with Hal Price Heedley, my grandmother, and a gentleman named Harold Fallon, was, uh, who is Luke Fallon's um, grandfather. Um, Harold was the farm manager at Beaumont and uh, a big part of our family. And uh, so that was Harold's retirement was helping my grandmother start Millridge. What a retirement. Right, right. No, no, you know, nice easy street, right? Just start all over again, right? Um, and so that... That was that was happening, and then in 1962, um, in April, uh, right around now, maybe you know, early April at the Keeneland meet, how Price Healy had a heart attack and passed away. My grandmother was now, you know, totally lost um, and not sure what to do, but you know, she was committed and wanted to start a farm, and so with four mares and one barn and 280 acres, she started Millridge, and. Um, there, I, the rest is history in, in a way. I, I had the great pleasure in the 90s. There were three there were three guys who came from Beaumont to help my grandmother start Mill Ridge. Uh, the gentleman, Joe Bates, uh, Marvin Harden, and brother, um, and Henry Jackson. Um, so those, I think, were the people who started. And when I, when I started working on the farm in the mid-90s, uh, Joe Bates was still alive. And some of my fondest memories are talking with Joe about what it was like working with my great grandfather and what it was like working with my grandmother, um, at the early days. And what he would say was that, you know, here were these tough, strong men and, uh, my grandmother would, you know, they'd be mucking out in the morning and they'd be trying to get in front of my grandmother because, you know, they were tough and strong and could you know outwork her. And every time they were walking out of a stall, she was walking into a stall and they could never get in front of her because she just worked really hard. Um, and was very good. Um, and it, uh, yeah, it, it's, those are, those are the fond memory. You know, she just had a, a lovely way, an incredible work ethic, um, and was always able to kind of balance that toughness with incredible grace. Um, she was very kind and thoughtful. She had time for, um, anybody and was really committed to trying to help, um, those who were passionate about horses and land and, you know, continuing the dream on. So, sorry, that was a long intro. <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> it was great. It 
was great. I, I love hearing the history of your family and, and how the farm came to be and, and what an amazing woman she was. In 2009, Alice Chandler received an Eclipse Award of Merit. She was a 2020 Racing Hall of Fame Pillars of the Turf inductee. And I think it's a testament to what she created, too, that, you know, your father, Healy, obviously very involved in Mill Ridge. You have continued on um, with the farm as well. And, and seeing that now pass through the generations, that has to be very special for your family and in, in upholding that legacy. Uh, absolutely. You know, we are so, I feel we have the greatest gift and that's the opportunity to work with the horses. I just think that the animal itself is just so captivating and inspiring, you know, competitive and just the whole, they're just, they're an amazing creature and an amazing animal. And, you know, I feel like we are kind of the caretakers for them going forward. And then they provide us so, so many gifts as well. And, yeah. and that was really, I mean, I think that's the foundation of, you know, what my grandmother instilled in us is just, you know, the dreams that are surrounded by these incredible animals um, and the opportunities that they provide us for incredible wins and excitement. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's the best trying to figure out the puzzle that doesn't have, you know, any, <laughs> any solution, but you keep working each year to solve it and adapt and, and, and go from there. My, my, my grandmother married in 1972 um, by uh, Dr. John Chandler, who I, you know, have grown up with as my grandfather. And um, this was at that time, her third, uh, her third marriage. And she often joked that if she'd only covered the bets that were made on how long they would last, but you know, they, they were married nearly 50 years and, um, and he's been an incredible support of Mill Ridge and just our family. And, you know, um, he's the chairman of Judmont, um, and he South African and practiced in new market. And as, um, as Europeans were starting to come over and shop the American sales, he had the relationships with them from his days in Newmarket, and so he did a lot of the vetting for, you know, all the Maktoum family early days, and then um, with uh, Khalid Abdullah's uh, Judmont, and then stayed on and became the chairman of Judmont. Um, and they, and so he's a, he is a tremendous part of my grandmother's story as well, um, uh, and a tremendous part of our family. Now, I'm sure so many lessons and and just things that you've learned over the years from your grandmother and, and what she created. But what do you think is one thing for you personally that you've really taken away um, from growing up in that environment and, and what she created in Mill Ridge is now I know it, it's a big goal for you to continue growing it and, and growing the sport of horse racing in general. Absolutely. And, you know, a love for the horse um, and a love for doing what you, the, what you can in the horse's best interest, you know, um, I think that's the the fundamental premise, you know, and that's, and that can be token and taken for granted, but, um, uh, Bill Thomason, uh, gave a beautiful eulogy at her funeral and just talked about how, you know, we can often get caught up in, you know, oh, that's expensive or, oh, this, or gosh, maybe we shouldn't do that because it's too much, or we don't know if it'll work. And he would, he just made a comment that I thought was appropriate where like it didn't, the resources, finding the resources didn't matter. It was doing what was best for the horse and we would find the resources to make it go because, you know, remember we don't, we don't have an oil well or another line of business to uh, <laughs> support <laughs> this, this passion. And so, you know, we, you know, are at the end of the day, we're in a way just grass farmers trying to, you know, yeah. grow incredible horses off the grass and land and, and, uh, and then give back to 
those animals in the land that help us, you know, sustain our lives. So, uh, but I think that that would probably be the takeaway. And then, but also inspiring people, you know, letting people who share that passion work with the farm and supporting them and their growth and their, um, is a big part of it too. I mean, we, we're all united at Millridge for a love of the horse. And so keeping that going and, and supporting that is a big part of what I think my grandmother helped inspire within us all. And that kind of leads into another topic that I wanted to cover and just the, I think you guys do a great job with social media and just the accessibility of the farm, particularly when the world shut down with COVID-19 and doing the virtual farm tours and, you know, just a, a little piece of bluegrass heaven to make people forget about what was happening in the world. Um, tell me a little bit about that and the importance uh, of what you're doing with Mill Ridge to bring people to the farms, to get them to understand where these horses are coming from, how they're raised and uh, kind of the story behind the racetrack, if you will. Sure. Thank you. And it was it was pretty happenstance how it happened and then has been one of the more rewarding things to happen. I guess they'd call it, you know, the, one of the silver linings of 2020 um, in an otherwise forgettable year. Right. But um, the, you know, we feel, I guess have always loved sharing the farm with friends, family um, just feel so lucky. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I feel like I'm a caretaker for and a custodian of this land and these, right. and the horses on the farm and sharing that as part of that, I guess, responsibility, um, because others don't have that same great fortune. Um, and I guess there's an expression, I guess, that um, he or she who has given much is expected. And I guess that I just feel like it that's my opportunity is to share horses with people. And so that led when I moved back with uh, my uh, girlfriend and now wife in 2010, started a conversation about how do we this was after the jockey club round, uh, McKenzie report had come out about how we're dying on the vine. And, and I hadn't ever had that experience of not finding fans because anyone who had come through the farm fell in love with the horses right. and they wanted more information and they were huge racing, became huge racing fans. And so my dad and I started tr talking through this along with, uh, and met Brutus Clay at Runnymede farm and Luke Fallon at Haggard. And we started a conversation that ended up leading to the founding of, uh, horse country, which is a nonprofit umbrella to make it easier for us all to give tours. Um, and, you know, Claiborne to their great credit has been given tours for 30 years and have created more fans than I could ever hope to create in my lifetime. And that's a great inspiration and a great assurance that this can be done. And so there are, you know, there are 40 members and at the moment about 15 or 20 that are touring and connecting people with horses, the behind the scenes. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll touch on the virtual tour, but I think it's important background. One of my very good friends uh, was a professional uh, or rode uh, on the crew team for Team for Canada. And he explained to me, because I've never been that in shape, but he explained to me how they trained for the Olympic trials. And they would do these really long, they spent a year doing tapers, right? So a year out, they were doing long rows, and then they would start to shorten. A month out, they're doing sprints. And then a week before, um, they wouldn't do anything and they would lock them. They would be locked in a hotel room and they'd be so full of energy. It was the only time that they actually fought each other. You know, and again, I've never been that in shape, so I don't know what that experience is like, but, but yeah. then you watch horses in the paddock and they're on their toes and they're ready to go. And it's beautiful. And you're inspired by the athleticism and, and everything. But at the same time, it's not really relatable. You're kind of watching them in the paddock and you're in awe of this, 
physical, you know, um, you know, athletic, you know, animal, but here at the farm, they are relatable, you know, they're kind of lazy, you know, they're kind of, you know, the mother with the foal, like, you know, teaching it or the foal gets out of line, she'll, you know, knock it or, you know, the mother being uncomfortable as she's getting, you know, more pregnant and they're just a lot. And then the yearlings that are kind of, you know, making, you know, immature decisions and, you know, you're kind of, you're, they're much more, I guess, relatable on the farm and, and expressing kind of where, like how they're laying the foundation towards the racetrack. And so have loved sharing that story um, and have loved connecting people with horses at these very relatable and approachable um, moments. And last year when um, it shut down and we were, we had hired an experienced coordinator named Hannah Boyle, um, who was actually Whitmore's groom, worked with Ron and Team Moquette for two years and is one of the few people Whitmore still lets in his stall, which I think is just awesome because Hannah is, is not, I mean, she's not, uh, she's not a, she's a, I don't know how tall she is, but she's not like six foot three, you know, <laughs> she's, not like, she's not like, um, some really big, strong person. So it's, and Whitmore's a big, strong horse. And so it's just awesome to see that like, you don't, size doesn't matter if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, um, so Hannah had been hired and to give tours and to help grow this, you know, this experience. And, uh, and then we couldn't give tours because we shut down. And so Claiborne had done a, an Instagram virtual tour where they just kind of turned on their camera and started walking through the stallion barn. And we're like, well, heck let's try and do that too. And it's become amazing. I mean, we have developed this incredible community by just kind of walking through the fields and sharing the story of, of our horses. And it's, uh, it's so inspiring and just so it's a reminder about how blessed we are and how lucky we are to do it, pursue this passion every day. And uh, I mean, I tell you, we've created this, this community where there are hundreds to, of people that tune in every time that, you know, we'll do a virtual tour. We'll have 10,000 people watch it um, after like a few days. And it's, it's incredible. And what, was, what blew me away um, just about a month ago, um, two women, one lived in Charlotte, the other lived in Chicago, um, met through the conversation on our virtual tour and drove six hours and had a private tour with Hannah to spend, to go behind the scenes. And I just thought it was it was amazing. You know, I, I love people. that. I just got chills. That's amazing. <laughs> that is a great story. Yeah. And, and I, it's just a great and I remind her about how lucky we are and, and the opportunity we have to share because, like, you know, they're incredible animals and we have such personal connections to them. You know, I'll, I'll say on tours, you know, that you have to remember that horses are prey animals and we're predators. And so we're afraid of them from their size and strength, but they're also afraid of us because that a Darwinian sense, we would eat them. And so there's this incredible juxtaposition of, um, of relationship between predator and prey with horses, you know, that I think has beyond words. I mean, I think poets have tried for centuries of describing the relationship and I'm failing again, like they have too, but I think it's just a really beautiful experience. And I think it's our responsibility to share that with others. Mm -hmm. So They are the most incredible animals on this earth. And I know you and I are biased, obviously, um, as horses have given me the world and getting to work with them and speak about them on a daily basis is a privilege, not a job for sure. Um, And we are definitely very lucky. Uh, Tell me a little bit about Oscar performance, if you will, your stallion at Millbridge. No, he's, he was, uh, he was raised here at Millbridge for uh, Mr. and Mrs. Amberman. Um, He's out of a, a married divine actress and he's, and he, I tell you, I'll, 
he he ran once at the end of the Belmont meet as a two-year-old and then came back at Saratoga and broke his maiden. And we were at Saratoga at the paddock bar, which I cannot wait to return with. Oh, Deb me and too. <laughs> and we were actually hosting a bachelor party. And so I hadn't really kind of dialed into, I was one of those wonderful days at Saratoga that you can step back and be a fan. And yeah. we were watching him going around the tree right behind the, right, you know, the paddock bar. And then there's like the camera and the tree are kind of close to each other. And he was just, he was on point. And uh, we were, we were in, we were about, I had had some guys who work in finance in New York who were also part of the bachelor party. And so we had, I don't know, we put in 50 bucks each and or 20 bucks each and had grown a show pool to like 900 or so. And we put it on him uh, or maybe we were at three or 400 and we put it on him to show and like, man, he just was brilliant in breaking his maiden. And uh, so he, I think he ended up paying like six or $7 to show, which was awesome, especially in the, yeah. in the show pool parlay, which, you know, that you need those. <laughs> to that. Really, yeah, no, now we blew it a few races later. I ran into Pete and I was like, Pete, I got, you know, I got these guys and they're like, maybe we should take some off the table. And I'm telling them that we can't buy steak dinner yet. So we're either eating Mexican connection or we're eating at Sperry's. And we're <laughs> oh, no, not Mexican connection. <laughs> and was, and, well, that's where we ended up because Pete, I was like, Pete, what should we show? And he's like, oh, I'll do this one. It's a guarantee. And he ran fourth. So there you go. Oh, no. Well, we know who to blame. We know who to blame. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's more than made up for it since then. But, um, for sure. But anyway, Oscar was brilliant that day. And then just watching him, um, you know, he just had such, you know, turn of foot, could break from the gate, could settle, and then went home. So it was it was uh, riding his career as a, having, you know, been a part of his life in early days. And then the Ammermans are so meaningful to our family. They were great friends of Bobby Frankel, and my grandmother was a great friend of Bobby's. Um, and so they, Bobby connected the two of them. And so, um he was a, he was a brilliant racehorse. Um, you know, he ran without Lasix, which I thought was, you know, important and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he won grade ones at two, three, and four, um, set the world record at Belmont for a mile, broke elusive qualities, 20 year track record in one thirty one and two fifths, I think. So brilliant racehorse were so, um, appreciative of the support of top breeders who, um, when the opportunity to purchase shares came, you know, they, we, they jumped at it and have supported him every year. Um, we have yearlings on the farm now. We've got 15 yearlings on the farm and are excited, you know, um, incredibly biased, but also incredibly excited. Um, we actually had a new uh, yearling manager start earlier this week. So got an, an unbiased opinion. Um, and he was, he's been very impressed by him. He's like, man, these are nice horses. I'm like, well, I think so, but I also think my kids are cute, so I don't you know, <laughs> I can't give you an honest impression. But we're very excited about him. Um, think he has a big chance. Think he has a big chance as our turf program has improved in the in the states. And I think as the you know, I think the pendulum always swings between Europe and America. And I think that you know we uh, have an opportunity to really have a global uh, global stallion on our hands. But at it's like having a good two-year-old in your barn, right? They haven't run yet, so you're always full of right. hope. <laughs> yeah, you, you never know. They they always say you don't run the races on paper, but you can do everything ahead of time to try that's and right. set it up in the right way. But you never know. Um, that's right. But yeah, and, that, it, it, and that's the best part of the business, isn't it? This hope, right? right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a business fueled on hope. So right now we're living good. 
I love that. But it, you have to have that, I think. I think that's what keeps you coming back, you know, to try again and again and um, to keep things going. And uh, I, I know Millridge has been a, a part of um, overseeing many matings to produce grade one winners. You also offer sales representation. I mean, tell me a little bit about some of the other things that the farm is involved in within the industry. Um, so... Yep. So we, you know, predominantly as Millridge umbrella, we're a nursery, um, that, um, commercial nursery. We've, um, and then, uh, we do sales consignment as well. Um, and are very proud of that. Very proud of the horses that we, and the people we represent at the sales, raising good horses and, and the clients who support us and, and know that we, um, represent, you know, horses that are raised well and, and, and good race horses. And then, my dad, when he graduated college in 77, um, he bought a Porsche, which makes a lot of appearances on our virtual tours. And then he also um, started Nakoma Bloodstock. And so Nakoma is the kind of consulting arm um, that dad started and is part of the Millridge umbrella. And he's, you know, he's had incredible, he is incredibly gifted in uh, mating horses. And I wish I could take the credit, but I, I can't because he is He's been doing it a long time, but he's uh, he did the mating for Hob de Grasse and uh, Brooks and Mortar and um, and let's see who who else. I'm just uh, Barbaro um, would yeah. kind of be three you know big name recent ones. But then last year we you know he did the mating for Duopoly, who uh, won the uh, American Oaks that we raised here at uh, at Mill Ridge. And so you know it seems over the last few years he has done the matings for two or three grade one winners a year, which is just, you know, incredible. Um, and, uh, and then we do, you know, we've had, we've had great luck and fortune buying yearlings and weanlings and, you know, managing broodmare portfolios. And so we do a little bit of everything. Um, we're very blessed to work with incredible clients who share a passion for the horse and, and sharing the dream of trying to, you know, win top races. And that's what, that's the elixir that keeps us all going. Absolutely. And, um, you chose to come back and, and take the position as general manager at Mill Ridge. And as we talked about throughout, that this is a family affair. I mean, what are some of the things that you would hope would happen within the farm or some personal goals that you would like to bring maybe with Mill Ridge or within the industry in general? Uh, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> I feel that I feel that we uh, at Millridge are, are really well positioned to bring people into the industry. Is like mm-hmm. I can't find another, um, I guess, uh, another analogy better than I want to be the kind of the on ramp of people into the business. So if you're mm-hmm. a fan and want to understand more about how horses are raised, I want to have the right um, opportunity for you to do so. If you are someone who you know, wants to buy horses. I want to help you, you know, manage that portfolio. If you're someone who wants to, you know, bet on horses, I'd like to be able to point you in the right direction to in the money media and learn about how to bet on horses. You know, I guess I just want to position Millers to be a place that we can all work towards, you know, um, fulfilling and growing the sport um, and really connecting more people with horses. Um, and, and I think that in doing that, that obviously also results in wanting to raise great horses that compete at the highest level and win the best races. You know, that's the, mm-hmm. that goes kind of without saying, because that's the, that's the ultimate driver of all of us. Right. Um, and where we all have a chance because there's no guarantee. So 
I, was that an okay? Um, that was <laughs> perfect. <laughs> that was absolutely perfect. At, at the end of the day, it's a it's a very humbling game for sure. But I think um, I very much agree with you that once you get a taste of it, then that's it. You're kind of hooked and um, pricing for people, especially as the world is hopefully starting to open up a little bit more now. Um, give a little plug. Where can people go if they're interested in coming for a tour or getting more information about the farm or, or just interested in learning a little bit more about racing? Absolutely. Well, in, in Twitter, dad is very proud of his Twitter following. So um, <laughs> he is at Heedley Bell and he has, you know, he has, a, he has good curated content and retweets. There's some, yes, you know, there's he's some very promo. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's very proud. I won't, I won't tell his age, but he's very proud of him, you know, connecting into this generation. <laughs> um, but I, it's so funny. He'll say like, you know, you got to be relevant to this generation. I'm on Twitter. I'm thinking to myself, well, dad, TikTok is kind of taking off. So <laughs> I think it would be better if we keep him off TikTok. Um, oh no. <laughs> but uh, so he he's great content on Twitter and he's at Heedley Bell. You know, our um our website, you know, Melrich.com is is good and getting better and working towards kind of making it more engaging and more kind of as a content portal. And we're um working our Facebook uh page last year we had maybe at twelve hundred followers on Facebook. It was something that I hadn't paid much um, attention to. And then through the pandemic started growing and we're nearly at 9,000 people following and engaging with it or somewhere around there. So I think that's probably at the moment, our, our portal that we're putting the most kind of current content on and then visit horsecountry.com and you can find, you know, millage tour availability, but also you can do everything from seeing, you know, equine clinics to stallion tours um, at Claiborne and Lanes Inn. They do incredible, you know, behind the scenes tours and regular tours. And mm-hmm. um, there are a number of um, Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance accredited um, facilities that have tours where you can watch horses be retrained and you can engage in, you know, that part of their career, which is a really important, mm-hmm. you know, part of the career. So with under the visit horsecountry.com umbrella, you can really find anything you want to learn more of and experience firsthand um, within the thoroughbred uh, industry here in Central Kentucky. So, Well, wonderful, Price. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you today and having you on the show. Thank you so much again for coming on. I hope people take advantage of the tours and just loved getting to talk to you today. You too. And thank you for the opportunity and, you know, happy to join anytime and well done on this show. It's a great show and uh, appreciate you uh, picking the ball up and really expanding on it because it's uh, I think it's a great, uh, a great message and a great uh, program for the broader in the money media network. Pleased to be joined now by Brett Jones uh, from Airdrie Stud, Vice President. And Brett, I appreciate you taking the time now. Looking forward to talking to you today and about some of the stallions that Airdrie has to offer. Thank you very much, Casey. You're, you're very kind to think of us and uh, great to hear your voice. Well, looking forward to, like you said, talking about some of those stallions as we do have the OBS two-year-old in training sale coming up um, for the April sale. A lot of horses in the catalog for sure, but taking a look at uh, the Breeze show and, and looking at some of the early workouts, even on the, the first day, Cairo Prince and Airdrie Stallion well represented with hip number 253 that worked nine and four. I mean, what is that like for you all watching your stallions represented at a two-year-old sale, seeing them work well and just some of that excitement that I'm sure you feel leading up to the sale itself. Well, as you know, it's such a long process from the from the time that these horses are, are imagined and then conceived and then born and then raised. Um, 
you know, so so all these matings are, are on our radar a couple of years ago. Uh, and then to actually see them get out on the track and do what they were bred to do is uh, obviously the best part of the game. I mean, uh, and we, we've had a good breeze show so far. It's always good news when you start getting texts from Ocala that, uh, that this Cairo Prince just went, went really well or this American Freedom just went really well. So uh, things are lining up and hopefully we can have a, uh, have a, have a lucky sale. And sticking with the theme of the sale, I think Cairo Prince a little bit more of an established stallion at this point. But American Freedom, you mentioned, who is first crop uh, of two-year-olds, are um, in the sales rings now. And so far, seems to be really well-received, kind of one of those buzz freshman stallions, if you will. Tell me a little bit about him. Well, I, th- I, think, that's, I think that's right. I think buzz is the right word. Um, we've been hearing from so many of the Ocala guys, so many of the pre-trainers, um, on these American freedoms, honestly, for the last couple months, um, you know, and you're you're insane if you start getting too keyed up too early because we all know uh, this thing can head in so many different directions. But the reports have been extremely positive, frankly, probably as positive and as strong as any young stallion that we've had. Um, and so that was the good news. And then it was made better news when he uh, jumped up and had the good OBS that he had, and uh, and of course the the big filly selling for five hundred fifty thousand and in Miami, and then uh, a couple of days later, his first starter runs at Keeneland. Uh, one of the first two-year-old races of the year wins very impressively, and uh, all of a sudden, you've got you've got a lot of th- a lot of good news to report, and uh, it gets you pumped up. And uh, bred by Brereton Jones, your father, who's so uh, influential in the world of breeding, um, named Listen to Libby, which I, I like the name. And uh, I mean, tell me a little bit about that filly in particular. And that must be a really great feeling to see the first starter for a stallion that you've decided to invest in winning first out as well. Yes, yes, that's that's a huge deal. But, but Listen to Libby is um, one of the most aptly named horses probably dad's ever. <laughs> We bred her. Dad named her. Libby is my mother, and, and um, that's that's always great advice in the Jones household to listen to Libby because she's uh, she, she's the most level-headed and frankly the most intelligent uh, between the three of us. But um, yeah, it's uh, that filly was was one of those that was awesome from the very start. Um, really, the, the the of the American Freedoms, the one we most wanted to show off at the sales. We were excited to take her. She was a big, beautiful filly. She was actually a late, uh, I think she was a late May foal, just going by memory. Um, so we, we waited to sell her as a yearling, but she was she was gorgeous. Uh, she was exactly the type of advertisement we wanted to have for the stallion. And Kieran Dunn bought her, who's got as good an eye as just about anyone. Uh, and he made an awful lot of money off us, which we are always thrilled to see. Uh, <laughs> Great advertisement for the stallion when Kieran bought her in the first place, and an even better one when he sold her. So, uh, mm-hmm. very, very with her. And then, of course, having that first starter win like that. And um, the phone's been ringing. We've been selling a lot of seasons uh, with the culmination of both the, the good sale and the, and the, and the two year old winner. So, he's going to have another good book this year. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just see how, how the rest of, these, rest of the two year old season goes. But there's, there's reason for optimism right now with American Free. American Bound, that first winner at Keeneland. And just in kind of a general overview, um, what is what are some of the qualities that you all look for in particular stallions that you think are going to have a future? Because sometimes, and you had kind of mentioned, it, it 
really helps when you have somebody that's established in the industry that kind of gives the seal of approval like a Kieran Dunn that wants to sell an offspring of a new stallion. But for some, sometimes there can be a little bit of trepidation associated with it. So to you, what are some of the marks of a promising new stallion that you look for? Well, one, one, you know, probably our number one prerequisite is it's a horse that we want to breed our own mares to, a horse mm-hmm. that we believe in that we're going to get in and, and support them because we have a, a large broodmare band. We've got about 160 mares, uh, and the overwhelming majority of those we breed to our own stallions. So we're, we're never asking anyone to do anything that we're not willing to do. And, um, and, and with American Freedom in particular, there were, there were a lot of things that drew us to him. One was, was just the talent that he had. Uh, he was really right there with the best three-year-olds in his crop, was really one of the uh, horses people were talking about. He did not win a grade one in that group, but he was second in the Haskell. He was second in the Traverse. He was running against and beating Nyquist, Exaggerator, beat Gunrunner both times they raced, um, which is something you've probably maybe seen in our ad, ad campaign. We, we tried mm-hmm. to mention that once or twice. But um, he... He really did have the level of talent of an elite three-year-old, and then he had an, uh, he had a setback uh, after that, after the Traverse, and they tried to bring him back. He just never came back the same horse. But at that point, he had shown us more than, than we really needed to see, that, that he did have that talent. He's so beautifully bred, being by pulpit. He's a gorgeous horse. Uh, and just to go back to, to what you know we're really looking for is, is we wanted a horse that that we thought could could really be good for our broodmare band. And Mr. Mm-hmm. West, uh, Gary and Mary West, who raced the horse, felt the exact same way. And they did absolutely, they've done everything they've ever committed to do. Uh, that team, Ben Glass, uh, they have supported the horse every year, have bred at least 20 of their own mares to the horse every year. So they had that belief in them as well. And so between the two of us, uh, by the time this, this season is over, just with Airdrie, and, and, the, and the West mares, we will bred 150 mares between the two clans. Wow. That's wow. pretty support for a young stallion, and it may prove very foolish. We all know, um, you know it doesn't go right, but, but we were sure going to do everything we could to, to give him the best chance possible, and I, I think we've done that, mm-hmm. and uh, far he seems to be rewarding that faith. A new stallion to Airdrie for 2021 is Complexity, who was just such an exciting horse on the racetrack, won the Champagne, the Kelso, um, and now will be starting the next path of his career. Tell me a little bit about him and how he's been received so far. He, he couldn't have been received better. He uh, was extremely popular from the start, sold out uh, in the horse very early, um, put a, a great syndicate together, uh, went out and, and got a, a few uh, breeders that we really knew would support the horse with quality mares every year. Um, so did sort of a limited syndication, which we really were thrilled with the feedback and, and the participation we got there. And, you know, the reason is I, I think he's got a lot of qualities that people look for. He was, mm-hmm. first of all, a horse Mike Ryan purchase. Um, I'm going to sound awfully, awfully pitchy right now, but you, you've asked me to launch into it, so I'm, so I'm going to. Please do. He's, he, he's just a, a gorgeous horse, uh, was was one of the most expensive McLean's Musics to go through the sale. We know what uh, McLean's Music has done as a sire, starting at the bottom and really making his way uh, on his own merits. So a, a son of a very exciting sire who was early, uh, was a TDN rising star at, at the Saratoga meet, uh, then came back, won the Champagne, which 
uh, we'll put against just about any other race as far as uh, a stallion making race. If you go through the list of, of alumni there, it, it's really a who's who. And, and he did it in 134 and change, uh, which is very rare for a champagne winner and very rare for a, a two-year-old in October of, of that year. Um, and then as a three-year-old, he had a setback as well, was, was sort of off the radar. Uh, but came back late in the year, ran a three Ragason number, uh, which is sensational for a three-year-old. And then as a four-year-old, as you said, came back and, and won the um, won the Kelso extremely mm -hmm. impressively, uh, beat a really good quality grade one winner in Code of Honor, and um, you know didn't didn't have his best day in the Breeders' Cup and retired after that. But uh, has been extremely popular. We're all in as far as the mare support we're giving him. And thankfully, we're not going it alone. He's he's had a really good first book of mares, and and again, it's it's all about the opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, uh, after that, it's up to him. Now, you also have there's uh, one thing I was really fascinating. Fast, I found fascinating, and I wanted to ask you about is some of the diversity in your stallions. I mean, you you mentioned a horse like um, Complexity, who's so fast, uh, winning a race like the Kelso, precocious two year old. Then you have horses like um, Summerfront or Divisadero, those kind of uh, real turf horses. And Divisadero, of course, the son of Kitten's Joy. I mean, tell me a little bit about him starting out with you and what the, the thought process in, in, in some of that diversity of the different types of stallions that you do have? Well, at the end of the day, it's, it's what you believe in, whether mm -hmm. that's a, a sprint a route horse on the dirt, a, a, a route horse miler on the, on the turf. Um, you know, you just have to, you take it on an individual basis. We don't necessarily try to craft our, our roster to, to be diverse, but, um, that's the way it happens. And, uh, and that horse in particular, Devisadero, I, I say all the time, I've got a bit of a chip on my shoulder about him because <laughs> he's commercially not been the easy sale, sell mm -hmm. that a complexity has been or that American Freedom was his first year or Cairo Prince or Summerfront. Uh, those were horses that were all overwhelmingly supported uh, in their first season. And Devisadero, because he did stay on the track a little bit longer, didn't run his best races at the end of his career. Uh, was a horse that I think the, the the public had forgotten about a little bit, and mm -hmm. so he, we're really having to try to try to make him on our, on our own a little bit. Um, we do have some breeders, and actually some some very quality breeders that that have bred to him, um, but he's not getting the mare numbers that that you'd really like. Uh, so what we've done is we've we've tried to do everything we can. We're breeding 20 mares of our own this year in his second year to him, just as we did the first year. So we're giving them every shot. We love the foals we're seeing. And, and the reason I say I have a chip on my shoulder is just that we really think he's got, he's got everything to make it. Um, mm -hmm. you just, just Sometimes you don't get the, the support that you want. But he was such a talented horse. He's so beautifully bred, being by Kitten's Joy from this incredible female family. It's the female family of Northern Dancer. And um, just any, anything's possible with a pedigree like that and a horse that was good enough to win multiple grade ones and uh, uh, and win on some of the, the biggest days. So um, he's a horse that we really think deserves a shot, and, uh, and we're, we're trying real hard to give it to him. And how do you go about giving a new stallion a chance like that, or like you said, kind of making him on your own? You mentioned some of the marketing tactics or, or maybe attracting new breeders or, or breeders that you've had relationships with in the past, what are some of the tactics that you would use in order to promote a stallion that you think deserves that chance? Well, we're, we're ex extremely lucky 
um, to have the loyalty with so many of the breeders who have been breeding with Airdrie for a long time. And that, that is all, all credit to dad that he's established those relationships over the years. I feel like we've got a reputation of being a good commercial farm where the breeders have, have not only hopefully raised fast horses, but they've raised horses that they've sold well. Uh, we try not to, to flood the market with, with a lot of numbers. We try to take our best horses to the sales to help the stallions averages. So uh, if, if, there's, if there's a loyalty there, which there is, it, it comes from uh, the 50, almost 50 years that since dad started the farm and established in those relationships. So extremely lucky to, to have that and to have a, a group of breeders that you can really count on that, that want to support your stallions. Um, as far as marketing, it's just mm -hmm. like any business, trying to figure out what people want to hear and, and trying to tell the story of these horses, even if it's not as obvious up front. And I think that's a, a bit of our reputation is that you know, our, our only business is, is the, the thoroughbred business. There's no, mm -hmm. uh, this is not a second job. If we don't make money in the, in, in the horse business, then, then we go broke and we're out of business. Mm -hmm. So we have to be, we have to be very fiscally responsible and, and, but at the same time trying to really bring in a quality product. So we are, um, you know, we, we're competing with, with a lot of big, a big guys. So sometimes we have to be creative and, a horse like American Freedom that would have, frankly, been much more expensive had he retired at a certain point. Um, that's the type of horse that we really target because you, mm -hmm. you, you tell me he got less talented. The talent was always there. The potential was always there. Uh, he just may not have been as expensive when we bought him based on, on timing. So you have to try to choose your spots and, um, and uh, do, do the best you can. You talked about those relationships and, and Airdrie Stud, of course, has a rich history, not only with the, the farm that the physical land that it's on, but also in, in creating it in the sport of horse racing within this industry and certainly a family affair. I mean, tell me a little bit about the history of it and and what you know what you hope to to represent with uh, Airdrie Stud or continue to represent is those relationships like with anything but I think particularly in horse racing are so important and and don't come overnight that, that's right and what what I sure hope our reputation is is, is a farm that really does things the right way uh, the right by, by our horses by our clients I think we do have the reputation of, of raising horses the way that People really think they should be raised, which is outside, big fields. Uh, a lot of people think we're crazy because we keep our yearling colts together all the way up to the to the sale. Um, mm -hmm. But we we love that. We love trying to raise race horses, tough horses, uh, horses that are ready to go on and do whatever you need them to after the sales. Um, and then just just that honesty again. That's all uh, coming from dad, treating people the right way. Um, He's been able to stay in business for, for 50 years because, I think, in large part because of the way that he's treated people and, and those relationships that he's formed. So, um, you know, he, he came here from West Virginia, grew up in a tiny little town called Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And for, for whatever reason, even though there, I'm not sure there was a thoroughbred in Point Pleasant, he up uh, <laughs> watching Roy Rogers, decided he fell in love with horses. And then one day people told him the best horses were in, in Lexington, Kentucky. So he said, well, I better go there. And so he's been doing it, doing his whole life. And um, it's, it's really incredible for all of us here to try to try to continue that, that great legacy that, that he's established and, mm -hmm. and continue to establish. I'm sure one of the most rewarding things when 
you know, it's a horse that you've supported or even bred, um, goes on to be successful on the racetrack. I'm tell me a little bit about that and what it's like following these horses throughout their career, because obviously that is the, the big goal at the end of the day is to go for a grade one victory or, or compete at the high levels. And tell me a little bit about following those horses throughout their career. Well, it's, it's what makes this thing so fun. It's what, Mm -hmm why I decided when I was about 10 years old that this is what I wanted to do for a living because I would follow the horses that that we had. I would watch the excitement that it would bring my family. I would watch the excitement that it would bring our friends. Uh, you know, following following a fast horse and the, and the feeling you get when things go right, uh, as you know well, and, and as I'm sure just about everybody that listens to, 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 this, to this broadcast feels the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just there's just nothing more exciting. There's there's a reason we're all addicted to it, and that's why I've always felt that the sport will always have a future. Is because I see how it impacts people. I see how it impacts really intelligent people and very successful people, and, and people lose their minds over it because of that excitement. Uh, and that's why we've always got a shot. And that's why uh, uh, you'll you'll never convince me it's not the greatest game there is. I couldn't agree with you more, and I love hearing it put that way. You mentioned following that excitement and how that's what you all reach for. Is there a particular horse that you've come across that really touched you, that really stood out in your memory, that was very special for you as you followed that horse's career path? Yes, yeah. We, we had a filly um, that was born in two, 2005 named Proud Spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still talk about her on, on an almost weekly basis. <laughs> We probably should turn the page and move on, but uh, we haven't we haven't quite outgrown it. Um, but she she was so special because of how uh, just what a trier she was, and, and and as you know, the individual personalities of the horses can be so mm-hmm. much of it. Really falling in love with those personalities, and she was a, a filly we didn't even take to the sales because candidly we thought she would she would really hurt proud citizens yearling average uh, because mm-hmm. she was I mean she was just this miniature uh, little. <laughs> looking looking Philly but um, we thought she deserved a chance to go in training to see what she had and she just took us really and, and as important as anything was she she was what brought us to, to Larry Jones she was mm-hmm. the, the first uh, that we ever sent Larry that's been an incredible relationship an almost familial relationship that we've established with him and uh, she went on to be one of the best two-year-olds in the country and then was the best three-year-old Philly in the country when she won the Eclipse Award won the Kentucky Oaks, won the Alabama that uh, dad would uh, tear up just about every time he started yeah. describing the stretch run where she, she beat uh, Music Note, actually. Uh, we all know what a good Bruner mm-hmm. on, on to be, but a, a really top class. Get off in AP Indy, you had this incredibly uh, bred, massive, gorgeous filly running against our little uh, runt of a homebred. <laughs> get your nose down there first is, is what makes it so wonderful. And then you just think of the celebrations that we had and, and uh, the pictures of, of just people being as happy as people are, are capable of being, um, you know, that are still around the office here. And um, so she, she was really that first one. And we've had some good luck with some Philly since then and have been lucky enough to race some nice horses. But uh, as long as people ask me that question, I'd say, I'd say I'll always have the same answer mm-hmm. and say, oh, 
I can understand why she's so special and and I can't imagine what winning races like that and getting to celebrate in the winner's circle um, does feel like with a horse that is a homebred. Um, Brett, it was so much fun getting to talk to you today. Look forward to seeing you at the sales of the racetrack in the future and um, best of luck to all the stallions with all the sales coming up this year. Thank, thank you so much, Casey. I really enjoyed coming on here and, and uh, really appreciate you you've giving us the time. Thank you. And with that, that wraps up another episode of In the Ring. A big thank you to Price Bell and Brett Jones. Loved getting to talk about a couple of these major farms in Kentucky. And they both are doing it the right way. With things kind of open up a little bit more due to COVID, I hope if you find yourself heading to Lexington, Kentucky, or plan a vacation there, or go to the races, take an opportunity to visit some of the farms there um, in horse country. It really is uh, just a, an amazing experience to get to see those horses in their natural environment, so to speak, and see these major operations do things in prepping horses from the time they are conceived to being born, the mares, the foals leading up to the sales ring or getting ready for training or then after their racing bringing them back as a stallion prospect or a broodmare prospect and um, it really is the full cycle of life and that's an important part of horse racing as well and seeing those generations and those family lines continue so I hope that you do uh, take those opportunities and go and visit some of the farms check out their websites as well and look to follow some of the stallions that we talked about today leading into next week's OBS April two-year-old in training sale that does take place the 20th to the 23rd of April. So looking forward to that with the two-year-olds in the spotlight now. And we'll, of course, be talking about that sale next week. And leading up to that Kentucky Derby, have some fun things in the works and prep for those uh, that Kentucky Derby weekend, which, of course, will be jam-packed with stakes action. But for now, that'll do it on this week's episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. As always, please feel free to share this. Um, reach out to me, share some new ideas, things that you're interested in, people that you may find interesting, and we'll continue to dive into the world of the sales, breeding, pedigrees, all that good stuff. And I'll see you next time on In the Ring. <laughs>